Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analyst around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports, here is Philip Jordan. What's up, y'all? Welcome into Talking SEC. This is your weekly look at all things SEC football, the best conference in college football. I'm your host, Philip Jordan, from the last world on college football, a 96.9 legend in Dothan, Alabama, where I'm the in-studio host and producer of the Woods Football. You can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can find the podcast on Twitter at TalkingSECPod. Of course, podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you got a topic idea or a guest idea for the show, you can always send me an email at SportsTalkPhilipJordan at gmail.com. But I'm joined by always a good friend of the program, Brandon Eisman. You can check him out over at Last World College Football, where he covers the Arkansas Razorbacks. Of course, he covers LSU Tigers, and we're going to talk about that a little bit for the LSU Wire podcast, LSU Breakdown, uh, Beyond the Bleachers. Uh, Brandon, always good to talk to you. Uh, Happy New Year, man. I hope you had uh, some great holidays with Christmas and New Year's, and uh, thanks for going on the show. Yeah, uh, happy New Year to you too, Philip. Uh, I'm glad to be back on, man. Yeah, and then it's uh, interesting times um, with everything going on in the world. Really, uh, everybody, you know, I guess kind of brings some escapism with this podcast doing doing this this week. And you know, like I said, always glad to have you on the show. And uh, we are heading to the end of college football season on Monday, hopefully. Uh, with the playing of the national championship game, of course, football wise, we do have the NFL playoffs going on. But uh, this is not something we were going to originally talk about. But some breaking news, some big news for LSU today, and I, I, I'll just let you take the floor on it, Brandon. Uh, LSU hired their new office coordinator. Yeah, Philip, you're exactly correct. So we've known for uh, a couple of days now that LSU was in talks with. Uh, two guys that are currently coaches with the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, which Joe Brady, who was the passing game coordinator during LSU's 2019 uh, National Championship run, he's their offensive coordinator. Um, and LSU's been targeting a couple of those guys for a couple of different positions. And on Tuesday, or sorry, Wednesday, because today's Wednesday, uh, it was announced that they had hired Jake Peets as their offensive coordinator. And then a little bit later, shortly after that announcement, they hired or brought back, rather, uh, DJ Mangus, who was um, kind of an analyst alongside Brady and Ensminger back in 19. Uh, he's going to be the new passing game coordinator. So, uh, look, they've still got to fill the defense coordinator void. I have an idea of who is going to take that. I'm just waiting on the interview to get done and the announcement to be made probably in the next couple of days because uh, back on Monday, Ed Ogeron said that he wanted to have uh, the coordinators hired by the end of this week. So, and they're just one coordinator coordinator away from basically having that done. Uh, so they've got offensive coordinator down with Pete, who I think is a really, really good hire. I think he's going to do a tremendous job uh, taking over for Steve Ensminger, who took kind of a different step, uh, different direction, different role with the program. Uh, you bring back Angus now as the passing game coordinator. That should be huge because look, man, Scott Linehan didn't do all that well with the passing game this year, kind of like different different to what uh, Joe Brady did in 19, obviously, with Joe Burrow. Uh, we kind of saw a big trend downward in the passing game this year, 
LSU played all three of their quarterbacks. And uh, Linehan just didn't really get the job done. Um, but they bring in Mangus, which is a really, really good hire for them. So you got two of your three coordinators down. You got one to go. Yeah, and you know, I was just kind of reading uh, what your colleague over at LSU Wire had wrote, Brian Manning, who's been on my podcast, several different ones that I've done over the years. And I just kind of read some stuff he had in his piece there at LSU Wire, talking about where Pete was already on the staff with Carolina, you know, where he also spent the 2019 season running backs coach, but Brady moved him to quarterbacks coach. And uh, saying here that the, both Pete and Mangus were recommended by Orgeron. So obviously Orgeron, and that's the big thing you want to get back to the offensive scheme that LSU ran last last year when they won the national championship with Joe Brady, uh, Joe Burrow quarterback, and Joe Brady was the passing game coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, Philip. Uh, you know, that little phrase you just said kind of got me excited for the 2021 season after uh, what LSU did this past year. <laughs> but, yeah, man, so, I, you know, uh, Pete's is a really good hire. I'm really interested to see what he can do this upcoming season with them. And then, like I said, man, Mangus back at passing him corner. Both of those guys have ties to LSU in some way, shape, or form. And, look, man, Orgeron having a say, obviously, because he's head coach, but kind of recommending those guys kind of gives him the leeway to hire whoever he wants. And, look, people have said, you know, here and there that he's made good hires and bad hires, and, yeah, that's true. But right now, man, I think he's making really good hires, and I think the best one, honestly, is still yet to come a defensive coordinator well, probably later this week. Uh, so we'll see how that unfolds. But, look, man, I think Orgeron's finally starting to turn this around with his hires. Yeah, it uh, it is – this is a good move. I think you kind of go back to what worked, which, look, I mean, watching LSU this year at times, I mean, I know they had some quarterback struggles. Finley was kind of up and down in his starts, and uh, Miles Brennan was not a problem. He played – I think Miles Brennan played really well for them. Uh, defensively was all year was an issue, uh, which LSU is hoping that will be corrected next year as well. And then Max Johnson at the final at the final games of the year against Florida and against Ole Miss, he played really well. And the LSU closes year out uh, with those two wins. I mean, they were three and five. And I know you were on the podcast going into that Florida matchup, I believe, and you're thinking, you know, just kind of get the season over with. But I also look at LSU with that. You end your five and five. You're going to have a quarterback battle. There's three guys there that compete. I, I'm going to lean toward either Miles Brennan or Max Johnson just from what I saw this past year. So, Pete's and Mangus, they're, they're going to have a uh, uh, a decision and uh, some some fun fun stuff to happen there with the quarterback position. And uh, a and a receiver booty dude. LSU's got a stud there. I mean, he played really well those last two games. So, yeah, LSU goes five and five. But when you look at what they did the last two games, I think there's a lot there for LSU fans to be excited about going into uh, next season. Yeah, yeah, certainly, Philip. And you know, you brought up those last two games, and really quickly, I want to hit on this because I've said this on my podcast. I think I've talked with my dad about it uh, really ever since the season ended. Was the fact that, look, yeah, those wins, those final two wins for LSU were terrific, especially the Florida win, because that was a game that everybody thought they were going to get blown out. Despite it being really foggy, uh, LSU still miraculously won that game. Uh, but, look, the defense for LSU gave up, I think, 72 total points in those final two games. That's pretty bad. Um, but, you know, defensive coordinator Bo Pelini has gone. It's time to start again. Uh, but you talk about the quarterback battle for next year, Philip, and 
Yeah, so they're going to have uh, Brennan. They're going to have TJ Finley. They're going to have Max Johnson. But if I'm correct on this, I think that um, high school prospect Garrett Nussmeyer also comes into the mix uh, for the 2021 season. So there's technically four quarterbacks that LSU is going to have a battle with. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, man, way ahead of time. It's going to be interesting, and I think there's going to be a lot of controversy with this. And we may see one or two transfers come out of that spring battle, uh, I think, just preliminary thinking. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the quarterback battle. You talked about Booty at receiver, and you still got Tyreon Davis-Price at running back. You've got John Emery there. Um, Chris Curry's gone. And he entered the portal. But you've got a lot of good running backs. Trey Bradford's still there uh, entering his sophomore year, coming up in 21. Um, but, man, offensively, overall, I think LSU set up for success. I really do. And then you bring in Pete's, man, it, it's going to be – offensively, LSU should be able to put up solid numbers next year. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I was very impressed with, with Max Johnson and what he did. Uh, played really well. And he puts the ball in a good spot, too. And against Florida and against Ole Miss, too, just those little short inside slants. I mean, it's a very small thing, and just, you know, I guess football nerds like me or you would notice. But he hits those guys in stride. You know, see a lot of college quarterbacks maybe throw a little bit behind. He throws a very good ball, and he's not – He's not a great runner. I mean, you're not going to expect him to go for 80 yards or anything. But uh, he's, a, he's a good enough runner to kind of get you through some things, kind of like Joe Burrow was, uh, which now the Internet thinks I'm saying Max Johnson's going to be the next Joe Burrow. I'm not saying that. But, uh, yeah, he did some really good things and going through that situation. And uh, I think LSU's got a, got a bright spot, bright season ahead for him next year it's going to be a whole lot better than what this year was and i'm thinking 2020 would just be a blimp on the on the radar uh, people say it's transition year as part of lsu it's a tough year like it was for most people as it was anyways uh so we do have the national championship game coming up on monday night we're hopefully i mean we know as we record this of course, there's been tall Ohio State COVID cases. I think Nick Saban needs to tell his daughter to stay off of Twitter for a little bit talking about it. Uh, so we, she does not need to pull a dab at Sweeney because we just saw on Saturday night what happens when you tick off this Ohio State team. But obviously, I mean, we could talk about Notre Dame and Alabama a little bit, but Ohio State Clemson. Look, I picked Clemson to win this game. I thought Clemson would win it close. I thought it would be a high-scoring game. Dude, I did not see Ohio State winning 49-28. And I didn't see Ohio State playing that well offensively, especially from Justin Fields. Uh, how shocked were you uh, with that performance from Ohio State? And, and I say I was shocked. Not I don't think Ohio State was capable of that. We just hadn't seen that this year. But what was your thoughts on how Ohio State performed against Clemson? Yeah, Philip, I was really surprised because, um, like you, I had Clemson winning that game. It's not that I didn't give Ohio State a shot to advance to the title game like they did. It's just that I thought Clemson up and down, all around offense, defense, special teams, I thought that Clemson was the better team. And, boy, Ohio State proved me and everybody else in America wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that they won by 21 is different than if they would have won it by three or seven, maybe even ten. But the fact that they just dominated that second half the way they did, because, um, man, after Justin Fields took that hit, uh, things just went wrong for Clemson. <laughs> uh, I think that enraged him a little bit. And, look, Fields is a really good quarterback. I like Justin Fields a lot. Um, but 
overall, man, to me, it was just really a surprise that not only Ohio State won, but just by the total number of points and in the manner in which they won. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, and Justin Fields played a fantastic game. I mean, just his numbers on that on the night was I mean, he was three hundred eighty five yards to six touchdowns, one interception. And I've watched Ohio State play the last couple of games, and I'm going to tell about this. Everybody wants to talk about Justin Fields, and, and, and rightfully so. He played a great game. He did not play good in the Big Ten Championship game against Northwestern, but, man, Trey Sermon, they have found some at running back. In the last three games, he is averaging 212 yards per game. Uh, in the game against Clemson, he ran for 193 against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. And he's a big reason why they won that game. He's why they found something offensively there in the second half. He ran for three thirty one in that game. Michigan State, uh, before they you know had to kind of pause for a little bit because of COVID, but that was their last game before the Big Ten championship game. He ran for one hundred twelve yards. So now now that they've got that going, that's a little bit different. And kind of going to their matchup with Alabama. Look, Alabama's like this. We know you know we watch SEC every week that. Alabama is almost unstoppable because it's like, okay, you want to play seven in coverage? I'll just have Matt Jones turn around and hand it to Najee Harris. He'll, he'll run through your defense. Well, then it's okay, we got to stop Najee. Okay, we're going to throw it to the top with Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith. But now you look at Ohio State offensively, they can do the same thing. They Chris Olave outside at receiver, and they have plenty of other great receivers at Ohio State or they can turn around, hand the ball off to Trey Sermon. So, man, look, and I, I was thinking, even as the game at halftime, I said, look, Alabama's going to blow out Ohio State or Clemson the way this thing's going. I'm not so sure now. Um, I'm kind of expecting a a game between Ohio State and Alabama that's going to be very similar to what we saw between Alabama and Florida. Uh, what, what What is your read uh, on Ohio State and Alabama? Yeah, I think it'll be closer than what a lot of people think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Philip, but – I think the line is still Bama by eight, um, at least from what I saw the other day. It was Bama by eight, opening line was. Um, so Vegas obviously thinks it's going to be kind of a close game, probably a touchdown game, uh, give or take for either team. But, um, yeah, look, Bama is dominant on offense like everybody already knows. But, man, I don't want to get into this too early because we don't know if it's going to happen. But, boy, oh, boy, if Jalen Waddle is able to show up on that field for Bama, it makes – Ohio State's defense have to pick and choose which receiver do they want to double cover or, you know, whatever they have to do in coverage because you've got Heisman winner Devontae Smith. And then if you throw a water back into the mix, man, if he's fully healthy, ready to go, uh, that's going to likely take pressure off of Devontae Smith, which gives Bama just another, you know, another reason to score. Um, but offensively for Ohio State, I think they're going to be able to match whatever Bama does. Uh, probably the entire game. I think this will be a back-and-forth game. And uh, I could really see it being a a one-score game, Phil. Yeah, the Waddle thing, I'm interested in now because, one, I'm just going to say this, and people may get mad at me for saying this, but I don't think he should play. I think – I know it's a championship game, but the injury you had – the confidence isn't there just to come in, boom, play in an ass championship game. That's tough. And then how often do they use them? Is if it's ten, fifteen plays, which I mean if he is himself, he can one of those plays can make the, all the difference in the world. I, and I tell you what's another thing for me I'm curious about with this game. 
and it's with Ohio State. I, and I feel like the Justin Fields thing, and I've seen some stuff that he he's okay. You know, everybody's worrying about his ribs, but apparently he's okay. So you don't have to worry about that. But Ohio State obviously put so much emotion, so much energy into Clemson because the way they lost last year, which let's be honest, they had some calls go against them in last year's game that if they hadn't, they probably win last year and they play LSU in a national championship game. And then, of course, Dabo Sweeney and the kind of things he was saying, to his, you know, ranking Ohio State 11th, all that stuff like that. You know, that added to it. That added fuel to the fire. I, I'm curious. Can Ohio State get to that level of intensity and emotion again? Because, and they they had never beat Clemson in the playoff. I believe they were like 0-2, 0-3. I mean, they had, there was a couple of them, they got blown out. But it's like Clemson was that hurdle they hadn't been able to get over into into playoffs. Davos Sweeney had their number. And so my thing now is once you get past that, can you get back to that to that intensity? And and that's something I, I've been weighing when I think about who do I think is going to win the game on Monday night is can, can Ohio State get back to that level of emotion and intensity? Yeah, Philip, I, I think they can. Um, I think we'll kind of see Ohio State come out where they left off kind of with that big momentum swing, you know, in their favor, you know, all hyped up because they're back in the title game since, what, 2015 was the last time they made it, I think? The 2014 season, yes, because that was the year they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl in the semifinal, and they beat Oregon for the national championship. They beat Marcus Mariota. So, yeah, they have, um, I think in their playoff appearances, yeah, they have. They've been, you know, one and done. So, yeah, this, Yeah. this is their first title game in a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So they're they're in the title game for the first time in give or take five or six years. Um, and look, man, I think that what Ryan Day has done there in Columbus with that Ohio State program is amazing. Um, you know, even though you could sit here and say, you know, maybe they shouldn't be in the playoff, just from a talent standpoint, this is a really, really fun team to watch. Um, as much as I despise Ohio State just because, really, I live in the South, I don't like uh, northern football teams, especially the Big Ten, but – Ohio State's been a really, really fun team to watch, man. Um, and obviously, I've watched Bama a ton this year. And I think both of these teams are, you know, kind of evenly matched. Um, but, man, this is going to be such a fun game, presumably on Monday night, if it doesn't get postponed to the next week. Um, but, uh, man, I think that this game is going to be probably one of the best college football playoff uh, era national championship games that we've had. So uh, let's pick it, and I'll go first. I'll let you you uh, be the second one to pick it here. I'm I'm picking Alabama. Uh, I just I think Alabama is just is is better than Ohio State. And I just have my doubts. Can Ohio State get to that level of intensity and emotion like they did against Clemson? I mean, when it comes to dudes, Ohio State's probably the closest team in the country versus Alabama when it comes to comparing dude for dude. But I like Alabama. I do think this is going to be a high scoring game. I think Alabama probably wins this thing like 41-38, somewhere in that range. Uh, where are you seeing it? Yeah, Philip. I, you know, after I watched Bama put up 31 on Notre Dame, and going into that game, I thought they would put up more. Um, I, I'm going to take Bama 34-28. Okay. And the reason I'm going to go so low is, A, Bama only put up 31 against Notre Dame, who, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been in there either. But I think that they're going to be able to hold defensively. They're going to be able to hold Ohio State to only four scores. Um, so I'm going to take the under on the point spread. I think they win it by six. 
but I like Bama to get it done. They're just such a dominant team. I just don't think Ohio State's going to have enough towards the tail end of the game to cause a turnover or get a score late to go up, you know, tie or go up by one. Yeah, it's a uh, wow. You got it close. And, and, you know, and I could see a lower scoring game because one, there may be jitters. This is a championship game. Sometimes you see that happen. You know, when we're expecting something big like that and it doesn't happen. So we'll see. It's going to be fun. Man, I hate the college football season is going to be ending. Uh, plenty more football conversation uh, on this show and uh, plenty of football, other football stuff too out there if you're an NFL fan as well. So uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting game nonetheless so uh can't wait for it on monday night hopefully monday night but uh brandon i do appreciate you jumping on here for a few minutes i kind of talk about the lsu uh coaching staff and then talking about this game a little bit and if the listeners want to follow you online where can they find you and all the stuff you're doing yeah you can find me i'm on twitter at eisman underscore sports uh you can also find my lsu breakdown and my beyond the bleachers podcast both of them are on apple Podcasts, spotify anchor uh lsu breakdown is also on spreaker as well um, and then I cover LSU over at LSU Wire for USA Today. I cover Arkansas Razorbacks football for Last Word on College Football. And I now cover the Jacksonville Jaguars once again uh, for Last Word on Pro Football. So go check out all my writing and stuff over there. Should have some interesting stuff for the Jaguars to write about in the, uh, the coming months as uh, they are in their offseason has begun. Uh, so interesting LSU stuff interesting stuff there as well Arkansas a bunch of good stuff just because football season is ending doesn't mean the great stories and conversation uh, is not there with all these teams on all levels high school college or pro and uh, once again Brandon I do appreciate you taking the time coming on the show and I look forward to talking again sometime down the road yeah sounds good man you're listening to the Philip Jordan show talking SEC football and beyond Everybody joining me now on the show is Brian Jones, popculture.com, trending sports writer. You can listen to him on his podcast, Always Football Season. And uh, Brian, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, happy New Year. I hope you had, had some good holidays. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Philip. I hope you had a good holiday as well. Great to be back on the show. I was always glad, always happy to have you on. Uh, you're one of the uh, one of the regulars here, one of the true friends of the show, and uh, it's uh, I gotta say this too. Talk a lot of football, obviously. I'm you know we're both big football guys. Back before the season, both college and pro. Yeah. Did you think we would get there? I mean, it felt like at one point we wouldn't have a season, and then all the stuff happened during the season. It's just, I, I feel almost like it's an accomplishment that we have made it this far. It is, and I honestly thought there would be um, a college and pro season. Uh, I thought they were able to get through it. I knew that there would be some issues. There would be uh, teams that would have some COVID-19 outbreaks, and um, there would be, specifically in college football, there would be um, some teams that would either uh, postpone games, cancel games, or push the season back. Um, When you go back to the Spanish flu pandemic, when you look at college football back then they had teams either cancel a season uh play a shortened season push their season back a couple months or so so um but it is an accomplishment because of it there were times um even in the nfl there were times that you look like it looked like that the season would have to be put on hold but um these teams were able to push through um these players wanted to uh continue to keep playing and um you know, hats off to 
uh, college football, uh, those teams, and the NFL, uh, because it's not easy. It's not easy to get tested for COVID-19 every day. It's not easy to stay distant from your family and from your friends. Uh, But they knew that um, they had to get that done in order um, to finish out the season. So um, it was not easy, but college football and the NFL were able to get things done. Yeah, most definitely. I I took the outlook every single week this past season is looking at it this way. There were games we didn't get, and you know you hated it at first, but I always went with the positive attitude. But I'm happy with what I am getting. I'm not worrying about the games I'm not getting. I'm I'm happy with what I am getting because there was discussions that we might have a season. But uh, that's kind of how my whole outlook been on this season and you know we talked about college football a little bit there so that you know we kind of we're going to talk a little college football and we're going to talk some nfl with a wild card coming up uh this weekend as well but we're gonna kick off with college football in our conversation here and i know uh, you're in the state of georgia you know you talk about both college and pro football on your podcast always football season but the georgia bulldogs i mean i, I told you how fair you know they kind of like went under the radar a little bit i guess you would say because when they lost to florida you kind of felt well they're out of it they're, unless florida gets upset a couple times they're not getting to atlanta the two losses against alabama and florida but seeing like this team t- toward the end of the year brian i'll have to say this they were one of the better teams i don't think anybody might would want to play them when they're when they've got everybody and uh, they really played well down the stretch especially when they had jt daniels in the quarterback yeah when they started the season or even before the season when jamie newman decided to opt out I think that really changed things for the Georgia, uh, for the Bulldogs, at least offensively. So they went with Dewan Master to start the year. They felt like he wasn't ready. They went with uh, Stetson Bennett very quickly. And while he was able to manage uh, the offense, he wasn't a game changer. You saw that in the games with Alabama and Florida. So, and then JT Daniels at that time, uh, even though he was he was medically cleared. He felt like they felt like he wasn't ready to go out there because he tore his ACL. It has been over um, a year since he played. But once the second half of the season came around, they were able to make the move to JT Daniels, and he was a top recruit, uh, transfer from USC, USC, and he played well. I, I, he only threw two interceptions in on the games he's played. Uh, he threw just as many touchdowns to Stetson Bennett in in half of the games that he he played. So. Um, yeah, I think a large part of George's success the second half of the year because of how JT Daniels has played. Um, he was able to throw the ball downfield. He was able to throw with some accuracy. And you got to see receivers and tight ends um, play at a high level and make plays because of the way JT Daniels was throwing the football. So, yeah, you're right. I think um, when it comes to all the college football teams, Georgia was one of those select few that you don't want to play in the second half of the year. It's unfortunate that the court situation wasn't really settled against Alabama and Florida because they probably, if they had JT Daniels in one of the, um, in both of those games, they probably would have won at least one of them. But I, I think with him coming back in 2021, I look for the Bulldogs is going to be pretty much national championship or bust. They're going to lose some key players on both sides of the football, but they're one of the top teams in the country in terms of recruiting and we have jt daniels coming back i know james cook is coming back as well and you got george pickens and some uh, other tight ends and wide receivers and then some key players on defense coming back uh georgia looks like a team that could be uh, ranked in the top five once the preseason rankings from 2020 for 2021 is released 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the guys that got come back on offense. And then this year with Daniels at quarterback, they're averaging 37 points per game. Uh, he put up 309, 308, excuse me, yards per game through the air, just kind of comparing with Mathis and Bennett going, you know, the first half of the year. They were averaging 209 yards per game passing. And then, like you said, you mentioned you got George Pickens, you know, Kiaris Jackson, you know, Jermaine Burton. They're loaded at receiver, loaded at running backs, Jameer White, James Cook, and I'll say Georgia's done pretty well overall over the years with the offense line good there. They may have some guys on the defense coming back. So and, and I and I haven't really I'm I'm probably gonna do this a segment in the next couple of weeks, uh, at some point. But from you know, looking at college football teams that can compete for a spot in the college football playoff next season, to me there's only two teams in the SEC because Florida look they're losing all the players are losing. I mean Dan Mullen will do a good job. They'll have some good players there, but they're gonna take a step back, I believe. To me, it's Alabama and Georgia next year in the SEC. And Alabama's losing a lot of guys, but it's a little different for them. You know, it's just plug and replace with Alabama, how they operate things. So I thought, to me, Georgia's going to be one of those teams next year. Uh, they're obviously uh, the teams in the SEC. They're one of two I could see being a playoff contender next season. Absolutely. And, and Kirby Smart has taken some criticism because of how he's managed things and um, they've haven't been able to get back to the national championship game or the college football play, playoff ever since um, they got there in 2017. But they're not this year because of what, uh, COVID-19. They were able, were able to win 10 games uh, because of the shortened season. But they're a consistent team. They're always going to be in the mix in the uh, SEC championship picture because of how they recruit. And, and that leads to uh, talented guys be on the football field um, year in and year out. You know, as you mentioned, and they're they're going to have some key players coming back. And one player I'm looking at is Dominic Blaylock, who was a really consistent receiver a couple years ago, um, but he's been dealing with injuries the past few, uh, couple years, and he should return 100 percent healthy in 2021. So they're going to be just fine on both sides of the football, and. What's also interesting, this is something that fans are also looking forward to as well, is JT Daniels' uh, see, uh, 2021 season will be um, his final college football season. And, and then Brock Vandergrip, a uh, five-star recruit from the from the Athens area, uh, it looks like he'll be there apparent for 2022. So he could see some playing time as well. And I, I got a chance to look at uh, watch some of his games at First Avenue High School, and they actually won uh, the state championship. It was the lowest classification but he was able to lead that team to a state title. And he has uh, just like a big arm like JT Daniels, but he's very athletic. So um, the future is bright for Georgia. I, I, even though, again, they've had their share of criticism and you know, uh, there are some fans that are a little skeptical skeptical of them actually playing, uh, competing in the college football playoff. But it looks like they have the quarterback situation set. Um, they're they're going to be okay at running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, and defensively they should be okay as well. I, I don't see any reason why they can't compete for a national ch- title in 2021. The interesting thing for them next year, you know, saying we, you know, we can kind of get back to somewhat normalcy in the, when we get to the football season next year, they open with Clemson, and we know Trevor Lawrence is leaving, but that team's going to be loaded. We know they have a quarterback coming back next year, so that's going to be fun. And you got you got to get by Alabama, but uh, it's bad. We ain't got we're not even played the national championship game uh, this Monday yet, Brian. I'm already looking forward to uh, Georgia and Clemson uh, to open next year, and that's actually a game. I don't know if people out there know this, but 
but they used to play a lot more often because they're so close in state. So that that'll be a fun that'll be a fun game too because you'll probably have some crossover with uh, some Georgia players from the state of South Carolina and Clemson players with Georgia players as well. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, Clemson is just um, you know from Atlanta, just up I eighty five, just about two hours away. So um, for recruit for when it comes to recruiting, it's a big game. Um, this is something that yeah, and you're right. You just don't see them play that often, and and they should actually play a lot more just because of how close they are. But yeah, that's going to be a really interesting game. That game is going to be played at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, and as you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence will be there, but. You know, like what Kirby has done at Georgia, Dabo Sweeney has done a tremendous job of recruiting. Um, they're great on defense. They're going to have, uh, you know, a talented set of skill players. So I, I honestly I think it could be one of the games of the 2021 season. Uh, I think Georgia has a great chance to win. And I think they do win that game. They could that could really set the tone for them for the rest of the year. And again, it is not going to be easy. And I don't know if George is going to go into that game as an underdog or not, but I, I think this is a really good test for them uh, simply because if they want to be a national championship contender, they got to beat a team like Clemson who has been to the college football playoff multiple times. They were the um, one game away from reaching it for reaching the national championship game this year. And they've won multiple uh, national championships in the last four years. So this is a great test for Georgia. I'm really looking forward to it. And, again, this should really uh, determine if they are a national championship contender. Yeah, absolutely. And I just uh, just hope Dabo doesn't, you know, give motivation to the other team like he obviously did to Ohio State yeah, exactly. going, to, <laughs> going into the, uh, to that game anyways. Uh, so uh, NFL-wise, you know, that was one thing I want to have you on too as well, talk a little NFL and the super wild card weekend. And I'm going to be honest about this thing. Uh, when they announced that seven teams were going to make from each conference, I didn't like it. I was not in favor of it. I, I just didn't think the NFL playoffs needed expanding. I've got to say, Brian, when I see the schedule, when I see how much football we're going to get this weekend, I may have changed my mind on that because I plan on fully just sitting in my chair in my lazy boy all weekend, not doing a thing. Nobody better call me and ask me to go do anything because it's not happening. Saturday and Sunday, yeah. Triple header football. Uh, how are you feeling about the fact that we're going to have you know more wild card games this week this weekend than we we've had in the past? It's going to be a much bigger uh, extravaganza for NFL football when it comes to playoffs this Saturday and Sunday. So and they haven't expanded the playoffs in thirty years, and when they did it in nineteen ninety, it, it was like you said there was fans didn't like it at first because they felt like they, there was no reason to expand it. Uh, but I actually like what they've done, and I and I don't. It doesn't really bother me either way. But I knew it was going to happen uh, simply because of the way the NFL has gone, and um, there are more teams in nineteen now than there was in 1990. I think it just makes it more interesting because you know the way they've had it the previous 30 years, the two teams in each conference will have a bye. Now you just have that that's going to have that week off and. For this year is the Chiefs from the AFC and the Packers from the NFC. And more football just means more money for the NFL. So uh, this was expanded. The playoffs was bound to happen. But I like the fact that you have these teams, um, you have an extra team competing uh, for a Super Bowl. Now, if there's one thing you don't like, you have a team like Washington, Washington football team 
uh, winning division with a losing record. You know, that stuff happens not too often, but, um, you know, that's uh, they're in a situation where they're playing uh, again. And you don't want to necessarily see a losing in the playoffs, but again, that's just something that um, some years uh, that's how the chips fall. But I do like the fact that there are seven teams um, in each conference competing. In this case, six teams because of each team, one team for each conference having to buy. You just don't know what's going to happen. You think that one team is going to blow past everyone, then you just have one of these teams that are going to surprise. So I think we're going to be some really good ball uh, Saturday and Sunday because you know they know what's on the line. Uh, they want to play in the Super Bowl. It's going to be in Tampa, and I think it's going to be a very Yeah, it's going to be fun, and I guess, you know, we kind of just look through these matchups, too, and you look at, we're kicking off Saturday, and look, I see this, the Colts and the Bills, I mean, you, I think you make an argument no one's playing better than the Buffalo Bills right now, and look, Colts have had a good year, but I, I don't know, just the way the Bills are playing going into this, I just feel like this is just going to be, I, there's no automatic thing in the NFL, but it just seems like it's going to be an uphill battle for the Colts to even try to win this one. Yeah, so the Col- so I, I really like what the Colts have done all year. I think Philip Rivers has played well. Um, I think Frank Reich is one of the better coaches in the league. But if there's one team to watch out for throughout the entire playoffs, it has to be the they're um, they won the AFC East for the first time since 1995. It won 13 games for the first time since 1991, and they were a hail mary away from being 14 and two. And Josh Allen has played at a high level. Steph, Stephon Diggs has been a great, uh, great acquisition for that team. Um, they they just have playmakers all in the field, whether it's Tremaine Edmonds, Roberts, Tre'Davious White. Uh, the offense is ranked second in the NFL with um, averaging thirty one point three points per game. A defense is ranked uh, is tied for third in the NFL with twenty six takeaways. I actually got to interview Bills defense lineman Jerry Hughes in the early stages of the year and. He had high expectations for the team, and they were able to live up to those expectations. And the fact they're going to have a limited number of fans at uh, the Bills are going to have a little limited number of fans uh, for the playoff game. I really that's going to bode well for them. So I think the Bills have a really good chance to advance in the playoffs. Now, uh, how far they go, it just depends on a lot on Josh Allen because he's been in that situation before. He played in a playoff game, and you know. The last year and things didn't go well for him at, towards the end, but I think he's more mature. He looks um, more relaxed out there, and I, I think the Bills have a chance to make a run. And, and with him, I mean, and I got the stats out, and you don't see this out of quarterbacks. There's a lot of things quarterbacks can improve, but it's rare when you see a quarterback improve their completion percentage the way that Josh Allen has. And he had issues with that at Wyoming coming out of college, going in, you know, coming into the NFL, his rookie year in 18, he was a 53% passer last season, 59%. Then he goes up to 69%. I mean, that's just incredible. Just looking at that. It's just, you just, cause you don't see quarterbacks really make that big of a jump when it comes to their accuracy. And he's definitely done it. He's, he's made the improvements to his game. And as we, you know, talking about one of the best offenses in the league and, uh, one of the MVP candidates. So it's just incredible what he's done to improve as a player in his first three years in the National Football League. Yeah. And I think, I think when, uh, for Josh Allen, I think he knew that, 
Um, he's heard the criticism, and, and I think with a guy like him, he just has to work at everything he has. Coming from Wyoming, not one of the bigger schools um, when it comes to college football, but the talent was there. And he, the fact that he has the ability to run also makes him a very dangerous quarterback, but he also knew that in order to be successful in the NFL, he had to be more accurate, and that was something that he, he's worked on uh, throughout his entire NFL career, and that's why he's one of the more dangerous uh, players in the league. Uh, when it comes to the MVP race, it looks like Aaron Rodgers probably will win that, but um, I think Josh Allen is definitely going to get some votes, and I think if he's able to play at a high level on Saturday, then the Bills should be able to win easily against the Colts. So uh, this is going to be, again, and, and I don't want to take anything away from the Colts because they've uh, been playing well all year. They've had some big wins in the regular season, specifically against the Packers home. So this is going to be a very compelling matchup, but I do think the Bills win. I think Josh Allen is going to be uh, the biggest reason why. Yeah, you know, then you got the Rams and the Seahawks who are jumping into the NFC, and this is the third time they've played, and they split their regular season matchups two weeks ago. Seattle did beat them twenty to nine, and I guess for me, Brian, this thing I have a I, I'm leaning Seahawks here because the quarterback situation mainly with the Rams. I mean, golf. I mean, is he going to play? Is he? Uh, Sean McVay said he's not going to announce who the quarterback's going to be. And you have a hard time believing that John Walford's out there. No disrespect to him. He had okay moments in the last week against the Cardinals. It, it just seems like just because the quarterback situation, as good as that Rams defense is, that's probably going to be the thing that really hurts them the most Saturday against the Seahawks. Even if Jared Goff plays, I still think the Seahawks will win because they've been in this situation before. Russell Wilson has knows how to win these playoff games and while the Rams defense is just at a playing at a high level with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey uh, I just think that um, Russell Wilson is just going to be the reason why kind of like um, Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills I think uh, Russell Wilson is going to play very well um, in the game against the Rams and I think Jamal Adams will also play a factor the defense overall for the Seahawks wasn't that great in 2020. But Jamal Adams played at a high level. They just had him lined up all over the field. And I think they're going to do the same thing as the Rams. Um, you know, I, I, I do think uh, the Rams had a great year. Um, Sean McVay is still a great coach. And I think um, they were able to bounce back from a disappointing 2019 season. But I just think the Seahawks are just going to be a little too much for the Rams simply because of they have a little bit more experience. And again, Russell Wilson, I think he has a chip on the shoulder and wants to win another Super Bowl. But again, this is going to be another great contest. You have two NFC West teams going at it. This will be the third time gone at it this year. Uh, but I think the Seahawks will win when it's all said and done. Yeah, and you mentioned the Washington football team earlier, and I'm proud of myself. I didn't say their former name because I'm bad about doing that. <laughs> I have been all year just in casual conversation with folks. It will halfway come on. I said, nope, that's not what they're called anymore, Phil. They are the Washington football team. Of course, I'll be hosting the Buccaneers, the uh, the Tom Brady Buccaneers, and uh, it's, it's, it's crazy just the whole year. And great year he had, 40 touchdowns at his age. Uh, I had a, a friendly conversation with a colleague at Last Word in College Football. He was, was trying to 
tell me Drew Brees was the greater all-time quarterback than Tom Brady. I'm like, uh, Drew Brees, his arm looks like it's about to fall off sometimes. Brady is still slinging it with the best of them. Uh, not to, to discredit you, but uh, that is uh, that is not a good argument. But, uh, you know, with Washington, I think they, they have played well without Smith at quarterback. Defensively, they're really good. They do have that defensive front that maybe – could get pressure on Brady because uh, we've seen in the past. I mean, any quarterback gets bothered by that, but sometimes it seems like him more than anybody else uh, does have issues with that. But I guess you just got to feel like this is Brady. He's going to get out of the first round here in the playoffs, especially what happened with him in New England last year. And I've, I've rambled on here about this game, uh, Brian. Just you see Buccaneers and the Washington football team. Uh, what are, What are your thoughts? So Tom Brady in the finale against the Falcons, he made NFL history again. He um, now has 299 career starts. That's the most for any quarterback in well, history. And he's also the second player uh, behind Peyton Manning to in NFL history to throw 40 touchdown passes with two different teams. So um, he threw four touchdown passes against the Falcons uh, this past weekend. And he seemed to have found his groove a little bit. And I think that's going to be a reason why they're able to um, beat Washington football team in Washington. And while I like Ron Rivera, I like what they've done defensively. Montez Sweat had a pretty good year. Chase Young will probably win defensive rookie of the year. The defense is ranked second in total yards allowed per game. Uh, That was a big reason why they won the division. And Alex Smith uh, is going to win comeback player of the year. But I think the way that the Bucs have played these last few games, I think that's just going to be enough to where they're able to not only um, beat Washington football team, but possibly make a run. I think if there's any team that could go into Green Bay and, and beat them, and let's just say that Green Bay reaches the, national, the NFC Championship game, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a really good chance um, to face them in the title game and win. Because even though Tampa Bay you know, is a Southern team, you know, Playing in Green Bay is not easy, especially in January. It's probably going to be snowing. Brady has played in those uh, um, that situation before because of the 20 years in New England. But they have to get through Washington football team first. And even though they are pretty strong defensively, I just think Tampa Bay just has too many weapons, whether it's Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Hopefully he can play. Um, we'll have to see um, if he's ready to go. But Rob Gronkowski as well. And even Ronald Jones, the running back, and Leonard Fournette. I just think they just have too many weapons offensively um, for the Washington football team defense to slow down. So I think Brady is able to – Brady and the Bucks are able to get past the Washington football team and advance the division around to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, what you said about them with the uh, with their matchup with the Packers. I do feel like of all the teams in the NFC, and it could work right where the Buccaneers – play the Packers in the in the divisional round. I, I think that is the biggest threat to the Packers potentially getting the Super Bowl because when I look at the other teams, okay, we'll say Seattle wins, and we haven't talked about them yet, New Orleans wins. I think New Orleans, they're really good defensively, but they're limited offensively at times. They're not as explosive as they once were. And in Seattle, they just seem to have issues. Both offense has not been as good as it was early in the year, and you mentioned their defense has been suspect as well. Tampa Bay just seems like they have their good running team for number one. They have Tom Brady. He's used to that element of going into the cold weather. He, he's done that before. And defensively, they showed in their matchup earlier in the year they can get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they and 
with David Bakhtiari being out on offensive line, that that could be the game that that gets exposed. So to me, and I'm glad you like I said, I'm glad you said that because I do feel like Tampa Bay is maybe the toughest matchup uh, for the Packers potentially in the NFC. Yeah, and they and they played earlier in the season. That game was at Tampa. Then Tom Brady and the, and the Bucks were able to blow past. Um, the Packers in that game, nothing went right for Aaron Rodgers. He threw two early interceptions, and the fact that, and yeah, you mentioned the fact that David Bakhtiari, their best offensive lineman, is out for the rest of the year. That could be very dangerous for Green Bay moving forward. They could probably get past um, the divisional round, but if they do play Tampa Bay in the next round, which likely, which is likely going to happen, then that could be an issue because. Uh, Tampa Bay could expose that, and that could bode problems for Aaron Rodgers and company. Because even though they're they've gotten better defensively, they're not where they want to be, and I think they just have issues at linebacker, and that's something they have to address in the offseason. But uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that uh, the fact that Tampa Bay Tom Brady has it's experience in cold weather um that's not going to be an issue and just the fact that uh, tampa bay feels confident on uh, going into the playoffs so if there's one team that could take down the number one seeded green bay it would have to be tom brady and tampa bay buccaneers yeah so that, i mean it would it, it, i'll say this if we do get that matchup in the second round or in the conference championship brady versus rogers in the playoffs would be would look good on paper uh you know see yeah. it see it seeing that matchup now on sunday now i think this is going to be the bet you know on paper i think this could be the best game of the whole weekend and that is the ravens and the titans they played earlier in the year the titans went overtime 30 to 24 titans aren't really great defensively and ravens have shown you know you know they can be scored upon this year as well just a couple weeks ago against the browns i i I don't even know. I I guess I'm slightly leaning toward the Titans here. It's it's a tough pick for me, uh, be honest with you. But I, I just feel like overall this should be a very entertaining game to kick off the Sunday games. It will be a very entertaining game, and I think, uh, and this probably is the toughest one to call, uh, simply because I don't think one stands out above the other. I do think the Ravens have more of a chip on their shoulder because of what happened last year. They were upset by the Titans in the division round of the playoffs, and they had the best record in the NFL. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson has a lot to prove in this game because he hasn't performed well in the postseason the last couple of years. And But I think right now, you know, everything – the Ravens have had a very challenging 2020 year. You know, they've had – uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, Lamar Jackson uh, was tested positive for COVID. But towards the end of the year, they started to really get things going. And I think they're confident that they can go in to see and upset a Titans team. I think the biggest thing for the Titans is um, if they're able to get Derrick Henry going, then that's going to be very difficult for the Ravens. Uh, even though I like Ryan Tannehill, I think in order for the Titans – uh, to make a run in the playoffs, Derrick Henry has to play like he did throughout the regular season. And as we've seen, Derrick Henry is uh, very difficult to stop no matter um, who he's facing. But I, if I, I'm leaning towards the Ravens, because again, they have something to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder. Um, after everything that happened last year, uh, they want to prove that 
um, they're a, a Super Bowl contender and they can make a run. So, but again, this is going to be a very compelling game. I, I'm very excited for this one, uh, but I do think the Ravens win uh, in a probably in the last second field goal. Yeah, because if the Ravens don't come out and they don't win this game, even if it's a high-scoring game, you know how it works. I mean, a lot of people still want to play the quarterback. I mean, it's you know at the end of the day, sometimes you know the, the win-loss record gets attached to their name, and another playoff loss, and you know then going into next year, you know that's that, I think that's felt like going into this year that was the storyline with the Ravens. Oh yeah, it's great if they have a good year, a good season. What are they going to do in the playoffs? That's kind of where they're at now. So it's kind of one of them deals. And like you said, I mean they played last year in the playoffs, Titans won, so the Ravens kind of want some payback so it's you know all that stuff you said this is that's why i feel like this is the most intriguing uh first round game and you look at the bears and the saints we're going back over to the nfc that's the three o'clock game i I don't even feel we should spend much time on this brian it just feels like (laughs) i mean the bears backdoored in they lost against packers but it's still getting the playoffs they're eight and eight i watched that whole game against the packers on sunday they can move the ball but it's going to be at line scrimmage they're not going to push the ball down the field and more likely they're going to kick a field goal. I think the Saints offensively just will be able – they'll put up with some points here. Drew Brees, we you know the stories. It's probably his last run here, so they're going to put up a big show. I, I just don't see an avenue here for the Bears to win this one. Yeah, I, I like what the Bears did defensively this year. Um, you know, Camille, Khalil Mack leading the way had nine sacks. Um, you know, they have Eddie Robinson, they have uh, some playmakers on the, on the defensive line as well. But I think the way the Saints have looked these last few games, uh, especially with Alan Kamara, um, you know, and Drew Brees is not the same, obviously not the same player he was, but I, he, he's still very accurate and completed 70% of his passes. And I think, I think the Saints just have too much offensively for the Bears to slow down. Um, and also with Mitchell Trubisky, I think the Bears have, if they have any chance to win this game, uh, it's going to rely on Mitchell Trubisky, who's actually um, started nine games and went six and three. And he's not that bad of a quarterback, but I think he has to play a lot bigger in these moments. And I think this is a good opportunity to prove that he can be a franchise quarterback. But I, again, when it comes to when it comes to this game. I just think um, the Saints just have too much on both sides of the football. And while I don't know if they can reach the Super Bowl, I do think the Saints win this game against the Bears because, as you mentioned, they backdoored their way into the playoffs because uh, the Arizona Cardinals lost their game, their final game of the year. So even though it's great, it, it's good for the Bears to make the playoffs. I think it's really going to be a very short appearance because the Saints just have a lot of momentum right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100% with you on that one. And then uh, we got the Browns and the Steelers, which it seems like, and I've heard somebody mention this, the Steelers are always getting the teams that are having COVID issues that don't have enough players, and then the Browns are going to be out their head coach. Uh, Kevin Stefanski uh, will miss the game, and offense coordinator Alex Van Pelt, he will serve He will serve as the play caller for this one. And, and just looking at that, and, and I like the Steelers here, because, I mean, we saw these two teams just play on Week 17. The Steelers didn't play 
a lot of their good players, and it was still a close game, and they will be playing their good players. So I, th- I think the Steelers do do win this. I think Steelers are going to be one and, uh, one and out, though. I think they will lose whoever they play in the divisional round just because of the way they've been playing. But just the fact is, it's not just you're losing your head coach here and Kevin Stefanski. You're losing your play caller and what he's doing with Baker Mayfield this year and this offense running the ball and, every, you know, the great job he's doing with this team. I just think that is just a huge blow for the Browns because, like I said, you're losing your play caller, and that's just a big deal. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski should win Coach of the Year for what he's able to do with the Browns. Uh, this is the first time they've reached the postseason since 2002, and it's also the first time they've won 11 games since 1994, and that was when Bill Belichick was the head coach. So Stefanski has done a tremendous job with this team. Browns fans are very happy they're back in the playoffs, but they also know without Stefanski on the sidelines, they don't have that much of a chance against the Steelers. I think Alex Van Pelt is calling the plays. And he hasn't done that. I think he, he did a little bit of that from what I remember when he was with the Packers, but it's not going to be the same. And I think a lot of the Browns' success offensively has to do with Stefanski. The fact that you know, Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb and even Kareem Hunt, those guys, um, the fact and, – and, also, the fact that they lost Odell Beckham earlier in the year and they were able to still you know, win 11 games in the recent postseason, that tells you the job that Stefanski has done. You know, And I think, Philip, you're right. I think the Steelers do win this game and they'll probably lose in the divisional round because even though they're still, they're, they have a, a talented club, it's just something about them that, I just don't think they just have enough to where they can make a run. You know, defensively, they led the NFL with 56 stacks. T.J. Watt has a chance to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, but Ben Roethlisberger has been dealing with injuries, and just they're just not the same team that you've uh, seen in the past few years. But I do think because of uh, what the Browns are going through, the Steelers should be able to win uh, and move on to the divisional round. Yeah, as a... Uh... I agree with you there on that one, too. I think the only one I think me and you were opposite scenes are, are the Titans and the Ravens game, which, hey, I can yeah. see, that, like I said, the Ravens can win it, too. I, I, I told you, and as I said there, I was not confident in my pick on that one just because those two teams seem so evenly matched. And uh, before I let you go, uh, Brian, I want to say once again, I do appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking about Georgia football and looking ahead to the uh, the wild, the super wild card round. Uh, this weekend in the National Football League. I do appreciate you taking time coming on the show and doing that. And if the listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you and check out all the stuff you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, I'm the trending sports writer, also an entertainment writer uh, for popculture.com. You can find my work at popculture.com or popculture.com. I actually got a chance to interview. We've done a lot of coverage uh, on the t- Netflix series Cobra Kai, and I actually got to interview Jacob Bertrand, who plays Hawk. And that interview should be up at the end of the week, so be sure to check that out. Again, that's popculture.com, popculture.com, backslash sports. You can also follow me on Twitter. That's at Brian Jones underscore PC. And I also have a podcast called Always Football Season. You can listen to Always Football Season wherever you get your podcast. I'll have a new uh, episode out on Friday morning. I'll talk about the NFL uh, playoffs as well as uh, recapping the college football season, looking at the college football playoff national championship. Again, you can listen to Always Football Season wherever you get your podcast, and also have a Facebook page for Always Football Season, and that's facebook.com backslash Always Football Season. 
All right, everybody, go check out all the great stuff Brian does. Popculture.com, all the great interviews he has over there. His podcast is a great listen as well. And uh, Brian, once again, always appreciate you coming on the show, and I look forward to talking again sometime down the road. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Philip. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at PJordanSEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time when we're Talkin' SEC.